Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW quote the late Mr Bill Ryan you wouldn't put a milk bottle out that day <laughs> Bill used to say that to us Louise when we were out fishing frozen soaked wet and he'd say you wouldn't put a milk bottle out that day and was <laughs> but, he in the middle of oh he'd go fishing Bill would fish and he'd be there till the very end so he was a fantastic man and he fished well late into life but it was a wonderful saying of his and I think of it today when I get into the car to come up here to work and look at the state of the country with the rain and the wind and the sleet and everything. We're not prepared for this. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, 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 I think it's getting worse. Yep. You think it is getting worse. I think that there's no doubt. And you see the... And more frequent the, the, and heavier. Yeah, the news today, 1.5 degrees higher in January or whatever. I don't know what or where it's going to end. Anyway, we're in the kitchen to start today. We're talking about the kitchen and, you know, me being the gadget guy. I love my kitchen and all the little uh, accoutrements I have in mm-hmm. there to use. Bread maker. <laughs> <laughs> Will you please lay off, lay off, lay off. They know that. They know that. The bread maker's there. Oh, it's there. It's in the press. Immaculate. Use. It's in the box in the press. No, I got, oh, rid, you've of, actually got rid of the box. But I think I... Did I use it once? Well, I definitely used it once, maybe twice, but but that's all. Yeah, we're talking about useless kitchen gadgets today. Them air fryers are useless, Louise. I don't know. Everybody seems to be using them. I don't have one, but everybody seems to be using them. I, I, I looked at the list of the top 15 useless kitchen gadgets. And not useless, really, are they? Or just not used? Useless, the useless. worst ever invented. Name it, name it what you like. I looked at a list there a little while ago, and the air fryer is in that. The air fryer is in is the useless list? gadgets one. No, no, it's not. Because no, no, you gave yours away. I did, but now mine was an early version of the air fryer, not like they have today. Now I have to say, my son and my daughter have them, and they absolutely love them. And it seems that if you haven't got an air fryer today, it's a Ninja. I think Ninja is yeah, the brand. That's the and there's two sizes in it. I think you need the bigger one. See, I'm a little bit educated on it but they swear by them they said say it's it's fantastic and, and and they say oh nothing to beat them all together what what do you think listeners anyone out there with a view on the air fryer 086-1800-658 by whatsapp or text but we're talking about the most what's the most useless gadget in your kitchen louise if you say 
me. Oh, uh, no. And <laughs> no, I, I knew you were going to say that. I'd say I have a mixer that is never, ever, ever. One of these big, massive ones, you know, with everything that comes with it. I think we got it as a wedding present or something. Okay. And it's never been used. And you can get little tiny mixers now. You can. You know, but it's still there in the back of the cupboard. Miriam had one with two little, it's a handheld one and you put the mm. two things into it. It's electric mm. and it's great for whisking up. Two Sundays ago, no joking you, she was baking and it was on the counter and I started to cut sourdough bread and I got down through the bottom of it and I cut through the electric lead. <gasps> of the, yeah, I did. Thank God. You know what? The switch was off. The switch was, had the switch been on, bang, I would have got the, got, the, got the belt of the electricity. And you know what? She had it years and years. It's gone now. Uh, the cable cutting it. You know what I mean? And there's no point in thinking about even putting it back together. I think the most one. useless thing in my kitchen is a wine stopper. Have you got a wine, wine stopper? stopper? If you open a bottle of wine, yeah. it's a thing. It's pointed and you put it oh, down. Yeah. It's absolutely Why, useless. there's never any left. It's useless. <laughs> it's like, honestly, it's like tits in a bull. Honestly, it's useless. Well, most people do the screw top now anyway, don't they? Yeah, they do indeed. I think that's the most useless. Anyway, we have a man standing by who knows all about kitchens. It's a long time since we've chatted to him. I'm delighted to have him back on Late Lunch. You would remember him from the wonderful Forge restaurant in Carna Ross. What a wonderful place he had there with his wife and family. He is now moved on to greater things. He is a tutor at Cavan Institute and he, I'm delighted to say hello to him. Parag, Welcome back to the show. Jerry, how are you doing? How's things? Uh, really good. Lovely to have you with us on late lunch this afternoon. You know what we're talking about, Park, and you've been in kitchens all your life and working in kitchens still and training people and at the heart of it in restaurants and your own kitchen at home. There's a lot of useless stuff, isn't there, Park? There is a lot of useless stuff, Jerry. You're you're absolutely correct there. And I was I was chatting to Louise earlier on there about it. Um I suppose being a being a professional um, in a, in a kitchen, you, you try and keep things as streamlined as possible, and you try you try and keep the clutter out of it. And mm. I think that's what, what 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 happens in a lot of people's kitchens. They they see things on on um, on on cookery programs, maybe or cookery demonstrations or something like that. Yes, and they they go, oh, I'd love one of those, or I'll try one of those, and they go and buy it without the knowledge and without the the explanation and without the without the uh, the skills involved. Uh, to, yeah. to run the full machine. Now, yeah, as I just was listening to you there a few minutes ago. You were talking about mixing machines. Yeah. Now, a mixing machine is grand for whipping a bit of cream, but you'll, you'll get something smaller, a little hand whisk to whip a bit of cream. But people buy these big machines and they have all the attachments with it. And do the attachments get used? No. So where did they find themselves down in the drawer in the bottom of a press somewhere <laughs> along the way? You know? <laughs> that's that's, that's, it's that's the, the way it works out. It's you know? the truth, Park. Now, here's one, and I know Louise was chatting and we were chatting as well. You're not a fan of the garlic crusher. The garlic crusher. Now, as a, again, I suppose that's me as a, as a professional chef. I would much prefer peel my own garlic and, and break it with the back of the knife and then chop it down finely myself and then turn the knife on its edge and just smash it into a nice, into a nice paste. I think people people now I don't knock the garlic crushers. A lot of people use garlic crushers, but I think they don't get cleaned very well after them. And um, there's a lot of icky things in kitchens that don't get cleaned properly, and they're, they're quite hard to. They're not that practical when it comes to cleaning, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. you know, there's one park I've been seeing online. It's a sort of a a half circle metal thing that you 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 roll it on the you know what I mean half roll it on the yeah. counter. You know that thing for crushing the garlic. It's a garlic and, crusher. It, 
Yes, correct. And to be honest with you, and I've seen that one myself, and that one doesn't look too bad, to be honest yeah. with you. I tell you, I tell you, I was in Portugal, I was in Portugal a couple of years ago, um, and I, there was one of these market salesmen was, was giving us a little spin on, on a garlic crusher and how to peel the garlic, and you put it into this rubbery little thing and you roll it round, and then you got the you got the uh, the garlic crusher and a uh, garlic and you rubbed it on a little plate with little indents on it and this was this was would break down the garlic and crush down the garlic and he gave you a nice dainty little brush as well so we did and you brush the garlic off the off the little plate then as well. Yeah. Now I got I got sucked in with that so I did and I bought it and it's still sitting at home and never never was used. <laughs> never saw the light. Shock- <laughs> no, it's shocking well hand painted, but it looked really well. But it was never. It just was. It wasn't practical, to be honest with you. You know, and that was that was that was the thing. Yeah. But I suppose there's other things in the kitchen. I would say, Jerry, and it's just when Louise asked me there, and I, I started thinking about it. Yeah. And um, and um, water bottles. Hmm. Everybody, everybody's into the the water bottles nowadays, and I see that a lot of them are very impractical. And um, the little pipes that go down them, they fall off, and the lids break on them. Now I don't know how how it's like in your house, Jerry, but uh, they 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 kind of keep, like to keep them in our house. They they have a sentimental value to some water bottles, and they feel like they don't they don't get thrown out, you know. Yes. So again, they they find their way down into the, into a they press do. somewhere in, in, in the house. And now that you yeah. say it, I, I I can see them in our press at home, and I never thought of them. They're there exactly. That's that's stuff that that goes there and it's forgotten about. What else, Boric, is is on your list? Tupperware containers. Now, Tupperware has its place. I, I love going into a shop and, and I, I'm very, like, I, I, I wouldn't knock Tupperware plastic containers. They're great. They're great for food safety in, in, in fridges that you can seal your seal your food. Um, but the little the little grind I have on it now would be that you'd go in and you'd see a perfect sized tub and you'd pick it up in the shop and there'd be three other tubs inside of it that are smaller. Yes. And the, the one tub that's the perfect size is, is great and you'll use it all the rest of your life up. The three other tubs is inside it, or two other tubs is inside it, never gets used because they're too small, or else they're too big. One or the one or the other, you know. Yeah. But I think if if the research and found out the, the the size of tub somebody was looking for, that you could go buy three or four of them or five of them, you know. Yeah. But I suppose if you go into if you go, there's so many there's so many different outlets now for that you can buy you can buy household equipment in, and if you go into them, there's absolutely any amount everything of under the sun. Twist. Can can I tell oh. you something about Tupperware? I will say one thing. I went to uh, I did a feature on a Tupperware party once a good few years ago here on the show, and I went out and met the women and everything, and they were selling, and they gave me a gift of. Uh, a potato masher, right? A Tupperware. It's a it's a hard yeah. duty plastic. Well, I'll tell you, Parik, it's the best potato masher I ever got in my life. Honestly, it does. And there I will. You go. I have to yeah. say, and it's used regularly in ours. But I want to throw a few more at you. By the way, the messages are coming in there. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp or text. The most useless kitchen gadget in your kitchen, please. Maddie's been on to say couldn't agree with Porrick more. The uh, uh, the garlic press is an absolute waste of time. Without doubt, the worst by far. I'll come back to more of those in, in a moment. Um, I wanted to tr- fire another few ones with you. An egg poacher, Porrick. You know this little gadget that you put the egg into and then it poaches the egg perfectly for you. Now for you, you must laugh at that, do you? I was having a wee giggle to myself there, all right, yeah. An egg poacher. Yeah. There you go. That's, yeah, I've, yeah, and I have, I, yeah, just I'm thinking back, and I have come across them, all right, but 
you can't just beat a pot of water, Jerry, with a tiny little dash of vinegar or lemon juice in it and, and, and drop the egg into it. There's your egg poached. And give it know. a swirl. That's the simple answer it, a, it is. It's not too hard on the swirl. Now, just give it a... Agitate the water a small bit and the egg, will do it, the egg will do its best then after that, you know. But no, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't consider an egg poacher now. But I, I've been sold again. It's like, it's like the food processor, Jerry. Yeah. Loads of people buy food processors. And there's, little, there's a blade for this and there's a blade for that and there's a blade for the other... But you ask the people, what are they for? And they go, oh, no, I don't know. I just use it for written down breadcrumbs or something like that, you know, or, or making a bit yes, of dough or something. Yes, I'm laughing because I remember, like, you buying in Portugal, going one time. I was at a market somewhere and there was an English guy selling one of those gadgets with all these blades and it shreds and it does this, that and the other. And yeah. you, I'm not selling it today for nineteen ninety nine. I'm not selling it for fifteen ninety nine. Nine ninety nine. It's yours today for five ninety nine. And, of course, I produced the five ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> and bought it, and it, I think it's a tool somewhere. <laughs> and he probably gave you two of them for that, Jerry. <laughs> I tell you, oh, I'm a gull for that altogether. What about a rice cooker, Parik? Do you need a rice cooker? Should I did rice oh, yesterday in a pot. No, no, in a pot, in a pot, in a pot. No, in no, no need for the rice cooker at all. A pot of water and a, a, a nice little sprinkle of the salt into it there. And off, and off you go. Sure. There's, a, there's another thing that, that and, and just after to coming to mind as well, Jerry, that you find a lot around the kitchen as well. Lids of pots. Yes. You know, yes. and getting the right size in the lid on the pot and organising that in your kitchen can, can cause quite a bit of clutter as well, you know. Yeah. That the, the lids, you know, oh, Jesus, that one's too small, or that one's too big, or oh, where's the other one gone? And the one, that has, the one that has the vents in it and the one that has, you can see what's going on in it and all that. So where do people organise them? It's it's quite they, again. They they can be door catchers in a they can be door yes, catchers in the kitchen. They can. Um, I I Irene at home now. Um, she's she's not too fond of the kitchen to be honest with you. Um, I, as as my father would have said, my father would have said a few years ago, there's no point having a dog and barking yourself. And and um, Irene took that to heart, so she did. So I do I do I do I do a good bit of the cooking. Um, I'm but I, Irene kind of, she'd be a bit of a hoarder now at home, so she would. And I like a bit of a declutter every so often. Yes. And it'd be normally when she'd be out doing a bit of shopping or she'd be away for the day and I'd do my declutter and she'd come back and she says, you've been at it again, there's stuff gone missing. And I says, well, I tell you what, Irene, I says, you tell me what you're missing now and I'll bring it back. And, and that's the and that's the way to be in our house. The, de- the declutter gets the declutter gets done. And <laughs> yes, and and they never, it's not missed. That's the point you're making, Parik. People hold on. Not them. missed no. exactly. Yeah. Not yeah, one yeah. bit. Not one bit. There's a lovely message. Hi, I don't like cooking, but Jerry, I do love my dual air fryer. I use it every day. I remember when I got my new kitchen years ago. My brother-in-law said, because I hated cooking, my brother-in-law said to my husband, because I hated cooking, that's the most expensive ornament you'll ever buy in the kitchen. <laughs> I, I, lo- I really like that one there. But look, Parag, in a general sense, you know, if we all went and looked, I'm sure we could do that declutter that you mentioned there and just stick to the, the basics that we use and that we need as well. What about the deep fat fryer? Is it gone with the oil in it because of the air fryer? I like my deep fat fryer. I still use it from time to time yeah and it's very practical it's very practical i like i like doing chips in the deep fat fryer yes, yes. And we have it we've a smart now it, we've only recently bought I, i'm saying in the last four or five years we bought a deep fat fryer but um we would have we would have had again I, you mentioned the air fryer i wouldn't i wouldn't like to i, I wouldn't uh, say no to an air fryer because just as, as your listener was saying there 
that that she might not be too too into cooking. Yeah. But if if an air fryer encourages you to cook, you know yeah. certainly get one. There's yeah. no doubt, there's no doubt about it. You know it's better than it's better than going out going out and, and getting convenience food and, and ready ready sure. made meals and all that. Sure. If it's going to encourage you to cook your own your own fresh fresh home home produced food. Certainly, certainly use the air fryer. We, I wouldn't. I don't use an air fryer at home myself, mm. to be honest with you. Mm. But, but, uh, um, but uh, that's that's uh, that's a good point you make there. It really is. Uh, if it gets you cooking and uh, you're happy with it, go with it. Citrus juice or a citrus juicer. Now there's a useless thing. We have one of them at home that you squeeze the orange on a little glass <laughs> thing and you gather the juice. But you could just squeeze yeah. it with your hand, Parik, or put it put something into the thing and squeeze it over the dish. You know what I'm talking about? A wooden spoon or something into the centre of it and give it a turn of it. Correct, or a wee fork or something like that yeah. would, do, would do the same job. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a gimmick for everything, Jerry. You know, there's a gimmick mm. for everything. It's, it's, uh, and uh, yeah, citrus juicers would be one. I would always, I generally would use use my hand or I'd stick a fork into it and, and squeeze yes. it. And I suppose people, people, some people don't like tips in their, in their, in and the juice squeezing it into into a glass juicer like that or a plastic juicer like that will. You know, it'll it'll do away with the pips and that. that yes, thing, you know. the smoothie makeup, Horik. I think I have two or three oh, of them. I think I have two or three of them at the back of the press somewhere. <laughs> Never used. I bought one and I didn't realise I had one at home. Would you believe? Oh my God, the, Almighty! The smoothie and do they ever get cleaned properly? That's the thing no, about it. I think they're not. they're very they're very impractical. So they are. No, they have their they have their place as well, and it's great as well that people are they they get into the a healthy um, they get into their healthy routine, so they will and they'll they'll. Um, They'll take it. They'll take it on board, and they will make smoothies. But again, again, they're a thing that that they kind of lie around. They don't get cleaned. I would, I would notice that they don't, they don't take the terrible, terrible well cleaned. But I have to admit, Jerry, I am, I am a bit guilty myself in in the, the sale of product to people because when we had our, when we had the restaurant and we used to do, I used to do cookery, cookery demonstrations, and people would ask me throughout the cookery demonstration. Where would you get that, and how would you get that, and what's that for, and what's this thing for, and what's that? They had great interest in it, to be yes. honest with you. Yeah. So I, I went, well, sure. Do you know what? I could order a few in for you, and that just snowballed into that. I used to buy product in for people, and you'd give them the catalogue, and and you buy it off company, and you you'd, you'd sell it to them. But I knew in my heart of hearts that I was selling stuff to people, and they'd come back to me and said. I've had conversations with them. Remember that joke about half a few years ago? Still down in the bottom of the breath. What did I need to use that for again? <laughs> That's the thing. I, I, there's the, as many gadgets as fools like myself out there to buy them. I think that's the really the summation today. Listen, it's great to chat to you. We know you from the forge and your own personal story of uh, coming through a challenge, a huge health challenge. What are you up to? You're in the Cabin Institute at the moment. What are you doing, Parik? I'm, I'm teaching on a I'm teaching on a TY cookery um, apprenticeship program there. Or sorry, a TY apprenticeship program down there. So I am. Yeah. In, in um, I'm doing TY uh, uh, schools as well. But I have my main my main work down there is is teaching on the apprenticeship program. So the National Comedy Chef Apprenticeship Program. We were only I'm only fresh back from Killarney. We were down all the providers of the apprenticeship program. There's nine of us nationwide, and we were all down in Killarney having a, having a uh, National Comedy Chef Skills Demonstration Competition. So. It was 50, I think fifty nine uh, contestants in in the competition. It was down in, in the Great Southern in Killarney there. So congratulations to all those that won yesterday. Yes. It was a great a great display on, and um, that's as I said, that's my main that, that would be my main job. Um, but I also alongside, alongside that, I I organise a, a, t, a TY cookery competition along with the the apprenticeship team here in in Cavan Institute. And that's that's a really it's it's a great it's a great great competition. We 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 deal with creator and Cavan um, 
here in Cavan itself. They're the food group. Uh, we deem it the Boyne Valley Food Series. That's in yes. and Loud. And we 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 work with Monaghan in in and the food group more to Monaghan. So um, we approach the we approach the the TY groups. We approach the TY coordinators and home economics teachers of all all the different regions. So there's a, a regional force. So there'll be a a, a Boyne Valley one, Mead uh, and Loud. There's a Cavan one. There's a Monaghan one, and then we we are taking on another another couple of counties as well. We've Clare and Limerick as well now this year. Terrific. And um, they have the, the the stipulations of the program is that they they have to to use some of their local produce. So the the Boyne Valley Food Series, their local producers, they have to use three oh, that's of those. Great. And they, they they cook often in their in their comp- uh, TY uh, home economics classes, and then they come to they come to well they become at the Drahada this year. Diffie and Drahada actually will be the. Do you know what, Parik? We'll we'll come back to you on this, and I, I will come back to you because it's something I'd like to feature on the show with those young people and you too. So we leave That'd it there for today. Actually, yeah, I, I will yeah. be back to you. We'll yeah. be back to you on this. I promise you. It's been all too long. Listen, you've been great. Thank you for joining us today. I know you're a busy man, and good luck with all you do. We'll be back to you, Parik. And don't forget the clutter, the clutter, the clutter. That's Jerry. the message. That's, the That's it. <laughs> Bye no more. <laughs> Thanks, Maurik. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Yes, the useless gadgets in your kitchen. We're chatting about it on late lunch today. Listeners, they're saying uh, sausages are awful from the uh, air fryer. There you go, Louise. Sausages are awful. Puddings are great, though. That mm. must be black or white pudding uh, comes out of it. Good, but not sausages, says a listener. There's another one. Hi, Jerry. Just want to say regarding gadgets, I have whittled mine down to the essentials. Well done to you. But I love my mixer and electric knife. Forgot to mention that one. We have an electric knife. Very good for carbon beef or stuff like that, for sure. Really good, yes. The listener says, my daughter got a Thermomix. I think it's a Thermomix you're talking about there. It's simply wonderful. She has soup in minutes, bread, breadcrumbs, waffles, juices. I could go on. They're absolutely brilliant. I'm actually looking at a Thermomix here. And it's, They're really expensive ones, are they? Uh, they do everything, no? Europe's favourite does-it-all kitchen gadget, it yeah. says. Europe's favourite does-it-all kitchen gadget. It, it, it's. Uh, I'll tell you about it. I'm just reading about it here. The most powerful blender in the world that also cooks and stirs. Mm. You can need and those. Yeah. Gives you recipes. Yeah, need dough, mix, batter, do all that. Mm. Do you know what? I'm tempted. Did you see the price? No. Uh Uh-huh. I know the price. (laughs) It's expensive. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, that's an Elvis reply there for sure. You're Uh, talking... Last time I looked one up, a couple of thousand. Yes. What? Mm. Oh, my God. Well, this listener has uh, invested and absolutely loves it for sure there. I know somebody who loves it as well. Do you? Yeah, I know somebody who has one and absolutely swears by it. Swears by mm. it. So if you get the use out of it, I yeah, it's I worth it. I think that's the thing. You have to get the use. And, and you nearly, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, mm. but you'd probably be, have to be based at home all the time. You know what I mean? A homemaker as such to be uh, there. I'm sure if though, if you got rid of all the soup makers and the bread, the bread makers and everything that you don't mixers, use, yeah, mixers. you'd probably get the price of one of those thermo yeah. mixers. Do you know what I bought and... I saw it with Tara Walker. I bought it the last time it was in Italy. It's, I mentioned about squeeze and lemon and that. Um, mm. For squeeze and lemons uh, for cooking, it's look at two, it's, it's fixed at the top and two arms on it and there's a little round part. You put the lemon into it. Do you understand? And yeah. squeeze it. And it does squeeze the lemon well. It's Tara swears by it. She, uh, she loves it. Her squeezer of lemons and any of that type of uh, mm. citrus fruit, you know. But there you go. Yeah, oh, you can no. have decors. Is that, is that what you call them? 
is it? It take the cores out of apples and stuff like oh, that. Stuff like that. There's something for everything, isn't there? Mm. Anyway, you're telling me that the thermal mix is 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 the one. It does what it says in the tin. But does the, everything, and even like as yeah. you're pouring milk, it'll like, like shout stop. It'll kind of feel right. That's enough. <laughs> so you can't. Will it hoover? Will it hoover? Will it put on the washing? Will it do the ironing for me? It'd be worth it then if it was that type of money. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're looking for a cleaner. <laughs> I think so. Anyways, you're a late lunch. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think you're right, Louise. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, coming up after two. Don't miss him. Yes, we're talking about fake news on the show, but taking us to the top of the hour at two. It's Westlife, and I swear again, I'm not buying another gadget till the weekend. I want to know Whoever told you I was letting go the only joy that I have ever known Girl, the lying Now, fake news A phrase coined by a man who's running to be President of the United States of America again is a saying that really has dominated politics and a lot of debate in the world in recent years it's probably better defined, as my next guest will say, as misinformation, malinformation or disinformation. He's coming to Ireland shortly. He's based in the Czech Republic at the moment, but he's coming to Ireland shortly to join our friends in Development Perspectives on Valentine's Day to talk about this very subject. But ahead of his visit to Ireland, I'm delighted to say hello to trainer, speaker and entertainer, Carmine Rodi falanga Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Not at all. We are delighted to have you on the show because this is a topic that interests me and I'm sure many of our listeners as well. Can I start by asking you this? It's my impression that fake news, this disinformation, misinformation, is it more widespread now than ever and facilitated by the World Wide Web, the Internet? Would that be fair to say? This seems to be the case, yes, uh, but simply because there is more information now than ever and it circulates all the time so f- fake news or to use to use a very incorrect term but let's uh, which is colloquially used fake news is nothing new it's been used by powers all the time roman emperors were using it egyptian pharaohs were, yes. were using it but now it's easier and also everybody can create news everybody makes the news and that's the difficulty, even for myself. And in, 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 in a simple example, if you go online, say, to one of the platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or whatever, and you're looking now to and you're wondering, is that real or is it AI generated? Is it fa-? You know what I'm talking about? It's a very difficult uh, call to make for uh, myself, an ordinary Joe Soap. I think I think what you say is really spot on and we should be aware that a, a consistent part of what we see online is probably fabricated. There was a study before COVID uh, that that found out that five percent of all news circulating online is uh, artificial, like fake, fake mm-hmm. to use a term. But this has increased tenfold last year. So in 2023, there was a study between May and December 2023, and websites publishing artificially generated news, which means completely uh, fabricated, increased 10 times. And you mentioned COVID there because COVID was a time when 
there was a huge amount of uh, conspiracy theories peddled online as well. Has this underpinned that unbelievable increase you mentioned there? It, it certainly did, because COVID was, so to speak, the perfect storm. People had time to spare. Many people were just at home um, and, and they had time to read more news, consume more information and produce more information. But also a lot of people, a lot of us, frankly, felt uh, under in danger, in danger. And when the human mind feels in danger against the wall, it needs a quick solution. And so scapegoating was one of the uh, available answers because a lot of people felt they had no control over their everyday life. And so we need to blame somebody when this happens. Mm. I I did mention Trump in the context of fake news. And as you say, it goes back to time immemorial, but it it doesn't spread like wildfire facilitated by the online world. He really latched onto this and he began to make people doubt. He questioned the bona fides of the media, especially the neutrality of, of the media as well. And he dismissed everything and anything under the sun. Um, there's obviously a following from a, a substantial following from in, in the United States and beyond the, the United States as well. But h- how did he, you know, enable this fake news to take hold and people to all clamber over on his side and believe him? It is ironic because it's easy to blame mainstream media, which now has become a synonym for something negative and evil. But Donald Trump is mainstream media and he was mainstream media. He was a TV celebrity and he's, he's been part of the star system ever since. So that really is more of a mechanism of identifying an enemy. doesn't matter if it's factual or not. Identifying an enemy that's well known and in uh, plain sight and then repeating and repeating and repeating accusations. So a lot of people will start to see it as the enemy. But again, this is nothing new. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm using a loaded word, but totalitarian leaders, authoritarian leaders know these very, very well. Mussolini, I'm Italian, so I know that part of history quite well, sadly. Mussolini used to be a journalist and a socialist journalist, by the way. But as soon as he wanted to really seriously take the power, he started to leash ferociously against the, well, mainstream media at the time. And the um, most most um, democratic and most um, um, nowadays we would say conservative newspapers became an easy target for the hate that he was very good at whipping up. You're very familiar with many examples of disinformation in, in the recent past, of course, and ones that spring to my mind. But if you look at the Ukraine war, the Western perspective on that is quite different to what is being shown and delivered to the Russian people on the other side. They're poles apart. Take climate change, for example. You know, people say that uh, climate change doesn't exist. There's no such thing. It, it It's not a fact at all. They're just two prominent examples of, you know what I mean, uh, information, uh, two diverse uh, opinions on it. How do we, as consumers of, you know, the news and everything about it, come to a logical conclusion of what is truth and what is lies. This is very hard. It's very tricky. If there was a quick solution, we wouldn't be discussing the problem anymore. (laughs) It's not easy. First of all, you mentioned 
uh, the Russian activity, it's certainly a fact. I was working, I was hol uh, hosting a conference in the Baltic states in Estonia, and the Baltic countries are investing more in terms of GDP. They're investing more in contrasting uh, propaganda than they are in military intervention in Ukraine at the moment. So for them, it's a vital threat especially because they have a very big um, Russian presence in their own society. Mm. Uh, so for them, it's a vital, it's considered a strategic vital threat to the national security, contrasting misinformation and disinformation. And when it comes to us, the uh, average person, uh, there is no easy and um, sure recipe to go. But first thing is to be aware that our brain is stupid. We are easily, easily subject to biases and uh, misinterpretation of reality if there is one reality at all. But without going too philosophical about it, it is healthy to know that the news are created, all news are created, and they are created for a reason. Mm. Um, now, the danger of that is uh, nihilism. And I certainly don't want to suggest that. We shouldn't become uh, nihilist and believe that, you know, nothing is real, everything is fabricated, everything is a lie, because that's the opposite danger. We should be aware and i i believe personally active members of society keeping this um, uh, sense of awareness very active what we can do uh we just have to verify the sources of the information when we receive it sometimes it's the best just to ignore something so not to fuel some some scandal or polemic we tend to be very very divided and we love to argue especially online because of social media make us most, more tribal than we ever were. We are divided. So sometimes it's better not to engage. Or on the other side, when I see a piece of news that uh, deserves my attention and deserves to be shared, then actively, actively share it. We are all part of the solution or part of the problem at the same time. Uh, to support news that are, that are worthy of support, for example, a lot of people don't even pay a subscription or or, or or a magazine or a newspaper anymore. But, you know, when something is free, uh, then maybe it means I am the product. And we should be aware of that. And I know that I'm giving an interview to a radio channel. <laughs> if there is a source that's uh, trustworthy, then we should support it financially or, or not. You know, sharing is already a big source of support. That's right. And then always, always check. Sorry, just last point, always check. Sometimes the piece of news is shared and the, the date on the piece of news is like five years ago and it becomes viral and viral, but it's not actual anymore. Sometimes it's shared and there, is even, there isn't even the name of the author. So these are all telltale signs that probably we're dealing with something fabricated. That's a very good point you make there. And other points I picked from what you said, as you say, a lot of opinion is free and it's given by people. What are their bona fides? What is their background? That's number one. You're, you're right. There's no middle ground nearly in the world anymore. It's black and white. We're on one side or the other. And and that is quite obvious in, in everything day. And it's a big, big problem. And I'm really curious to come back to the point you made about the Baltic states there. That nearly their <clears throat> biggest war is not in terms of manpower or military might. It's the information war online. That's something to behold. Yes, it's certainly something that also uh, struck my attention at the time, but they were very clear, this is vital uh, for us. But without going that far, everybody's involved. 
because there are also governments in Europe that have authoritarian tendencies. The US is always divided, and, and, and this is an election year, which is going to have global consequences again. But another uh, interesting piece of information, a very recent study found out that ChatGPT is producing, at the moment, is producing more fake news in Chinese than in English. So there is a lot we don't even know about because China is very hard to monitor and scrutiny. It's not open, as we know, but a lot is going on there, which is simply out of our sight. So the problem is global, so much so that the uh, future of life institute is the scientists who monitor um, the nuclear threat, for example, and they are the authors of the doomsday clock, which is, I, I know it's not something optimistic and cheerful to talk about, but they say artificially intelligence generated news may be the biggest global threat for the next couple of years. So if you thought nuclear war or climate change are a problem, well, I've have, I have bad news for you. That is um, worrying, to say the least, when you say that. And there's a lot of... Uh, information about AI itself, you know, uh, coming out all the time. It's it's relatively new, but we're, we're trying to grasp what it is and, and where we're going. But it obviously, as you say there, it's a real danger to mankind and the world. So just to refresh again from your advice, and you're coming uh, to us here in the Northeast to talk further about this on the 14th of February. Um, you say, you know, beware that the, uh, online, you know, information, disinformation, fake news or whatever, a lot of it comes from a free source. It's pushed in there by people who are they? Check out the bona fides of the stories. Ignore other stuff. Anything else you want to add to that to try and help people, you know, sort out the truth from untruths? It's an exercise of critical thinking and it's never ending. So it's a healthy practice. Just like we like to exercise every day, we should also exercise our mind and curate our media diet. It sounds ironic, but it's a thing. Media diet. What are the sources I'm checking regularly? And am I sharing them to my uh, contacts? Uh, who is behind it? Always have a look at who's the man or the hand behind the power. Support the creators you find trustworthy. Be aware of your own biases. They keep changing. As I grow, my mind biases grow. Uh, and so there is always something new to find out and to discover. And when I find a story that is verified and trustworthy, I need to share it. At the same time, if I find that I am sharing something that is uh, not true. It's the best thing to do is just apologize, and you know, in a graceful way. Everybody makes mistakes. We all make mistakes, so apologize. And in general, reduce the need to see enemies everywhere. Reduce the paranoia. Reduce the feeling that we are divided and we are at war with one another, because in general, we determine the background noise that is in our society. And if if we become a belligerent society, then every little action will spark more violent conflict. And I personally think, and I hope people agree with me, we have enough of violent conflict in our society right now. We certainly do. And you've got to be aware that people have agendas and they uh, post things and they spread information for a particular reason. And it's across borders. That's the thing about it. There are no borders here anymore. It's worldwide. People can just tap in here, there and everywhere and influence elections, thinking the whole lot. Oh my, I'm looking forward to you coming to the Northeast. You're coming on the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. You're with De Development Perspectives, our good friends on the North Quay in Drogheda. 
from 10am till 1 o'clock. You're giving a lecture there and I think it is well worth checking out. You'll get more information on Development Perspectives website. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you today, Carmine. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Very, very insightful, I have to say. Likewise, Jerry. Thank you very much. And I wish you and all the listeners a very good day. Thank you. And see you next week. See you then. Take care. Good day to you. That's Carmine Rodi Falanga there. A man, a great thinker, a trainer, a speaker. And he is coming to DP in Drogheda on the 14th of February. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. Maroon 5 and She Will Be Loved. I think I'll dedicate that one, Louise, to Maura Rath today on the show. Maura, The Apprentice, the Irish representative on The Apprentice, show number two tonight. Oh, I hope mm. she will be loved by Alan Sugar and everybody there for weeks and weeks and that she goes far in the process. Anyway, episode two tonight. You're impressed by Apprentice. her, obviously, so. I, I got a good vibe from her in week one, all right. But as I said to you, generally with Sugar, you can be sure he has a shortlist of three anyway. It's showbiz. You know, it's entertainment, yeah. the show. He knows already, even at the start of it, even though it's all recorded in the summer, when he sets out on that, I'm sure he knows, has a good idea who he expects to be investing in. But she, yeah, she's given off um, good vibes, as I said earlier. I wish her luck. Anyway, part uh, two on tonight will be glued. Well, I'll record it and see it when I get in a little bit later on. You've uh, picked up a story from LMFM's news that you want to tell our listeners about, yes? Yes, just an unusual one. Boys on. Go on. They are going over to uh, see about buying a football club in the UK this weekend, apparently. What reported. club? What club? Chorley FC. Chorley in Lancashire. Huh? Chorley in Lancashire. There you go. Mm. Uh, they're going to buy the... Why don't they buy a club here? And they are boys on Irish, aren't they? Yeah, the whole yeah they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Anyway, so Charlie, the not to only buy. boys own, but uh, Brian McFadden, formerly of Westlife, has also his eye on them as well. Oh, I see. I see. Mm. There you go. Lots of competition. They must have good moves. <laughs> they must have playing in harmony. Anyway, watch this space. Uh, we, we we'll see what happens with that one. Back to the uh, kitchen utensils and gadgets that we were talking at the top of the show. You came up with a couple of crackers, boom, boom, <laughs> with regards to eggs. You, you, too useless mm. pieces of kit for the kitchen when it comes to eggs. What did you, you were telling me there, you saw... An egg scrubber. What? An egg scrubber. What would you want an egg scrubber for? To scrub the eggs. Why? Don't know. They generally, it's 10 95 They generally you want to come, part with your money. Well, you know, in, in, in supermarkets, that should they're pristine clean or that. I suppose mm. if you get them free not just throw them under, or, the pa- under the tap like an... Yeah, you could, if you wanted to. Of, yeah, if you wanted to. But in my opinion, throw them in the pot or yeah, crack them and the leave shells. the shells outside. And make sure mm. you compost. Uh, the shells are great for the compost heap. I put mm. all my eggshells into the compost as well. What was the other one? There was another one there. Eggshell cutter. No. If you had a soft-boiled egg or a hard-boiled egg and you want to take the top off, you know, for the yeah. soldiers, yeah. dippy egg, it is cost you three fifty nine and just, you know, completely perfect top lid, just cut straight across, take and, it out. And there'll be no little bits in your egg or anything? No, and none of it will spill all over the place. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give top. you my, hold on, here's my credit card number. Get me one straight away. <laughs> I'm not going to criticise that one. I like that not? one. I know I like oh. that one because I'll tell you, in my, lo- you know things that, a lot mm. of things drive me mad, as you know, Louise. But anyway, one of them is when it comes to food, I hate finding an eggshell 
in a soft, you talk about the dippy egg mm. or an any egg, or you know, if you have an egg and onion sandwich or an egg sandwich and you get a bit of a shell in it. Ah, ah, I just, just take it out. Ugh, uh, up it, I just can't take it. I just hate it. Anyway, I like that because I love, I love soft boiled egg with soldiers. Real butter on the toast. Mm-hmm, real butter. And, and dip them in. And I have it to perfection. Okay, do you want the recipe for a perfect soft boiled egg? Are you ready, folks? Here we go. Here we go. It's very simple. So you bring your pan of water to the boil. Mm. You lower in your egg. Have it bubbling nicely. Now, not mad that it'll crack the egg. Bubbling nicely. One minute. One minute. Turn it off after one minute. Time it. Put the lid on the pot. Four minutes later, four to five minutes later, just lift them out. And they are the most perfect soft boiled egg you'll ever get. And that comes courtesy of a woman who used to say when she was in charge of the football club, we're talking about Charlie. Where are you? Where are you? Do you remember this? No. Do you not? No. Oh, <laughs> the Diane. Norwich City, the owner, the okay. chef, the original that I got our three books. Oh, Come on, Doreen who is Allen? she? Who is she? No, 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 no. in uh-huh. England, in England, okay. in Norwich. She's Norwich in England. Um, and I go by her recipe all the time. And here I am. Do you know something, Louise? <laughs> you can't remember her name? I'm trying to get you to help me out here. <laughs> I can't remember. The blind leading the blind. <laughs> Talk about soft boiled egg. Scrambled brains is what I have. Come on, get me her name. What's an, uh, And I can see her. Uh, it begins with Ma- D, D. Mary Berry. No, 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 no. no. It begins with D. Oh, oh, help me. Delia Smith. God bless you, listener. I would never have God that. God bless that woman. Hold on a minute. That message is coming in. When, like, when, like, when, let me click on this. I have to click on this. Hold on. And we have the silent mouse now. You won't even hear it. Uh, Delia Smith, thank you so much. I'm very grateful to you. You have to, to send you. her now some name. eggs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Kathleen, it's Kathleen. Thank you. Delia, I couldn't think of it. I got foggy brain there. Delia's recipe for the soft egg. Never fails. They have it. Soldiers, soft eggs, sorted on late lunch today. Anyway, short break. And we're joined by Mary Kenny, who knows all about the uh, royal family in Britain. And soft eggs, maybe. Well, we could ask her. We'll try. Stay with us on late lunch. Well, no need to remind you that Queen Elizabeth reigned for years and years, right through my lifetime. Uh, she passed away at a, a very senior age. And of course, her son Charles, who many people thought might never get his opportunity became King Charles III. He's only about 17 months into his reign and if you're following the news, you will have heard he went in to have a procedure on his prostate. That seemed to be fine and then news broke, uh, issued by Buckingham Palace, uh, to the astonishment of uh, Britain certainly and uh, all over the world that he had been diagnosed with cancer. This on the back of uh, Catherine, Princess of Wales, Kate uh, being in hospital and out of action for quite a number of months, the royal family uh, seems to be really hit with a, a, an awful belt of misfortune health-wise at this point in time. I'm delighted to say hello to my next guest on the show. She's a very good friend of ours, very obliging journalist, broadcaster, playwright, you name it. Mary Kenny's on the line. Afternoon, Mary. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Well, Mary, there's no doubt that uh, all these uh, happenings, starting with Kate, then with Charles, who seemed to be in the clear, and then centre of the storm again with the cancer diagnosis. You've been writing about this in recent days, and you believe uh, absolutely right to come out and put the cards on the table. 
yes, I mean, that was, you know, considered to be, to show very good transparency. And I think we might say as well that Sabina Higgins, you know, our First Lady, she also was very open uh, last November when she talked about having a, a diagnosis of breast cancer. Um, and, you know, so this is, I suppose, perhaps a new way of being open about, um, you know, when illness like this strikes. Partly, uh, you know, to 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 be honest about it, and I suppose partly also to encourage people to get checked. Um, however, there's, I would say there's a bit of ambivalence there because although the Buckingham Palace was open about the the King having been diagnosed with a cancer, they have not explained what kind of cancer he's got, mm. um, and that's uh, people are saying well. Uh, perhaps, you know, that should be explained a little bit more clearly um, because, you know, there, there would be very different uh, analyses and rather, you know, some cancers are very, very curable very quickly and some need more treatment and are more serious. So I suppose it has, in a way, awakened more curiosity about what the actual problem is. Yeah, that's so true. The speculation has been rife since. The only clue we have is Rishi Sunak, the PM, did come out and say publicly that it had been caught early in early stages. And that's the only indication we have. But you feel they'd be better now uh, coming out and laying it all out for everybody to say where the king is. Well, you know, there certainly is commentary um, along those lines very much in in London. And also, it does affect, you know, state uh, events. Um, Will the king be able to carry out Commonwealth tours, for example, that are planned? Will he be able to go? He says he will continue to go through his red boxes. These are the you know cabinet papers that yes. uh, that the monarch has to look at virtually every night and uh, elizabeth was very uh, conscientious about that and i think charles is as well but if he's having treatment you know he might be very exhausted is william ready to maybe step in as as a regent at at this point and so i mean something like trooping of the color for example which happens in the summer admittedly attracts a lot of tourists to to london Will he be able to do that? So these questions are are being asked in a way which, I mean, reflects the fact that Charles is an individual. He's entitled to some privacy, you know, at a time of ill health. But on the other hand, the head of state, the sovereign, um, you know, he is in a, has to carry out public events. Will he be able to do it? So that question is following on. And I suppose, you know, Charles Brandreth, who is... Um, uh, a commentator and an author, um, he he says that Camilla told him that, um, uh, that, or disclosed to him, that actually Queen Elizabeth probably had bone cancer or bone marrow cancer. Now, that was never disclosed, actually. When she died mm. uh, in, in November 1922, it, did, it said old age, I believe, on the certificate. So that's another issue was, I mean, she she was an old lady and, you know, she, was back, she really worked right up to the end. Um, and so, therefore, I mean, people felt very respectful, I think, of, uh, you know, treating her with respect. But nevertheless... 
the, again, this question has come out. Has there been complete transparency about cause of death? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I know Giles well, and he's a he, he's a great guy, and uh, you know he is close there to the Royals. You mentioned William, William, yeah. uh, and and of course he is uh, next in line uh, for the throne. His wife Catherine, I mentioned, Kate, uh, Princess of Wales. That's been a strange situation in that she spent quite a time in hospital. She left and they say she's going to be uh, recuperating for quite a number of months. So, again, there have been a lot of questions. What's up with Kate? Yes, exactly. And uh, she just said she had an abdominal operation, which had been planned for a time. And it's assumed uh, that this is probably very likely a hysterectomy but nevertheless uh, she seems to me to be quite young I think she's a 41 isn't she or 42 mm. um, she's quite young for a radical operation like that and you know I, I, I suppose that puts her out of action as well in terms of yeah. um, you know doing public duties which of course she's very popular uh, you know uh, at doing that so they're, they're talking about you know sort of thinning of the ranks of, you know, there aren't enough royals to go yes, round yes. because because they are in de- demand to actually do things, to visit factories, hospitals, you know, and places of, of public interest, you know, mm. um, charities above all. So I suppose it's it's, it's just quite a, 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 an interesting development. I mean, every most people, you know, really wish the king well as soon as possible I was very interested to see one of the first people to wish him a, a, a speedy recovery was Michelle O'Neill mm. you know the first minister Sinn Féin first minister in Stormont and I thought that is an extraordinary uh, turn up for the books really when you think that I mean only a generation ago a rep- you know a republic a, a republican an irish republican wouldn't attend even a coronation yes uh, uh and you know in back in the day i mean de valera wouldn't let his uh uh cabinet go to the coronation of elizabeth the third elizabeth the second um you know back in the last coronation it was absolutely uh, it was absolutely considered, you know, not right mm. for an Irish Republican. There, you, I think that was a very interesting and conciliatory gesture yes. from Michelle O'Neill. I must say, yeah, absolutely, Mary. It is changed times, and and um, you know, for the future, please God, it, it augurs well. You, William, again, of course, his dad is not well. His wife is recovering. There's a lot of pressure on him. I just saw. Anne out and about yesterday, and isn't it amazing how Camilla has come from far left <laughs> right to the centre of things? Yes, indeed. Yes, and I mean, she was uh, uh, <laughs> at one stage she was really uh, stigmatised, you know, as the other woman. And I mean, I would still know a few people who would um, have some. Uh, they would still feel more a loyalty, shall we say, to Diana mm. uh, on that. And of course, there you have uh, another tension, perhaps, uh, entering into into the family dynamics. Because, of course, Harry came back yesterday very, very swiftly from California yes. uh, to see his, to see his father. But Harry wrote some very sharp things about Camilla, you know, in his memoir, and that has been sort of uh, revived again. And he, so 
I mean, there's obviously, there is a family dynamic there which may be a tension, you know, but mm. I suppose the thing is these things happen in all families where you've got um, various uh, hostilities sometimes or at least arguments going on. And I suppose that's one of the things that people identify with. Mm. And, and you know that you make a good point there he didn't waste time in coming to see him because your dad is your dad no matter what happens and yes. of course he's uh, really concerned and I wonder again when I saw that uh, the speed at which he arrived at what does that say you know again it poses the question in the mind uh, about how Charles actually is it would be a supreme irony I hope he's well and I hope he recovers because I've always admired him and I, I love him for his uh, stance on, on the environment he's a great outdoor man like myself for sports and, and he's a, a man who loves uh, meeting people and has a big affinity of course with us h- here in, in Ireland but it would be the supreme irony if anything were to happen you know the Queen was there for so long and you know if you had a short reign by King Charles Yes I, indeed it would be I mean one commentator M- Michael Cole who was who worked for years in the Palace, he actually suggested rather strangely that um, the name of Charles as a king for an English king was rather unlucky, actually, which is rather a strange thing to say. But he did make this point because Charles I was executed, of course, and his son, Charles II, uh, he uh, was exiled for a very long time, lived in France and, and on the continent, and left no legitimate heirs himself. So his uh, line came to an end, um, and that, and thus, some people thought that Ch- Charles himself would ch- would perhaps choose a different name as mm. king, but mm. he went with Charles just the same. Mm. So, but of course, um, no, there's a, there's a groundswell of real uh, sympathy for him, and also I suppose there's a lot more discussion uh, about cancer as well, which yes. which is a good thing. But I suppose the other thing that has arisen, Jerry, too, though, is that uh, the NHS does have long waiting lists, and if you are, if you do want to be checked out for if you're concerned about cancer uh, possibilities or or symptoms, it can be quite hard you know, to actually get to the consultancy because to get to the consultant or to get mm. to the hospital because of the waiting lists. And, uh, and so there's a discussion area around that as well. Rishi Sunak admitted that in his interview with Piers Morgan earlier in the week, that he was very uh, disappointed that he hadn't managed to reduce the uh, NHS waiting list. Yeah. But of course, I think these problems arise everywhere because in Ireland as well I you know there are yes. uh, uh, there are also problems with with uh, the health service it always seems to arise because I suppose it's 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 endless really you know yeah. uh, uh, the, the the demand for health yes for sure for sure care, Mary you know. yeah, it's the same it's a common problem on both sides of the Irish Sea listen you're very good to give us your analysis on it because I know you follow it closely and I do know here in Ireland no matter what people like to say I think there's a huge affinity for the royal family and a following for them here in this country and it is prominent in an awful lot of people's minds Mary you're great thanks for joining us I wish you well Thank you, Jerry. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's the wonderful Mary Kenny there uh, reflecting on what's happening in the British royal family at the moment. Short break. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio.
what was I to say to you, Louise? I never, I mean, my old head is scrambled. It is scrambled here today. Oh, yeah, you, you know, um, did you see the proposal to restrict cars uh, in, in Dublin? Dublin? City. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you were just mentioning earlier, within your uh, Paris, what's the charge for an SUV? Oh, gosh. It's massive, Off the top of my head, it? was it 18 euro an hour or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's massive now. It yeah, is absolutely an SUV massive. for the centre of Paris. For the centre of Paris. And, and only SUVs. That's it. And uh, Dublin now is going to restrict traffic come August of this year. Mm-hmm. In the, It's not people, go, I think, going into the city, but people who go through the city to go somewhere else. Now, I don't know how they're going to work this out anyway. Yeah, how are they going to be able to tell? I don't know. I absolutely don't know how they're going to be able to tell. And I'd like to know that myself when I see it. But anyway... Uh, Passports. I have to say, you know, it's pushing. I, I, what did you say? Passports. Passports. No, no. No, 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 no. There's something ridiculous like that anyway. Anyway, you know, Dublin has changed an awful lot. Even to drive Dublin now with the one-way systems, I wouldn't be familiar with it. There was a time I could know it, no bother in and out, but I'd be absolutely lost now. But it is pushing people more to public transport, you know, and parking mm. on the outskirts, wherever. There'd have to be more parking travel, tra- tra- before yes. it's brought in. There'd yes. have to be more yes, parking around the outskirts. Probably I, none. I, I agree with you. Um, look at that one there from a listener. Jerry, Nostradamus predicted that Charles would be king for a very short time. And it wouldn't be William that would take over. We'll wait and see, says uh, a listener. So there. who did he predict if it wasn't William? Must have said some name. No, I don't know. But there you go. Um, mm. That's interesting, that. isn't it? it? It really is. Um, Which, this Charles though, because, you know, there was another Charles as... Mary, yes, Mary Penny said that. She's, she's well briefed on it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They had, the Charles hadn't hadn't much luck. I hope he's I hope he's well. I hope the man is well. And, and you should rent yourself out now as a royal if they're that short in the ground. <laughs> 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 Do a few functions and earn loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd get away with that to be honest with you. Toasted sandwich maker, the George Foreman grill. Now there's I know you need them. Do you? Yeah. I, I like the I have a sandwich maker I use it regular it's lovely as well I do indeed I don't have the George I use the George Foreman grill as a sandwich toaster oh do you yeah stick them in there's a, a tip from Mary Louise today the George Formby grill isn't that what Peter Kay called it or somebody Formby George Formby the singer with his little ukulele anyway Louise I want to dedicate this song to you it's yeah. the fine young <laughs> and long may I do so oh long may you do it long may you do it yes she does but you know what love her to bits it's She Drives Me Crazy on Your Late Lunch. The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Yes, Tracy Chapman it is and picking up from yesterday her eighth studio album in 2008 called Our Bright Future secured another Grammy nomination but that was it in terms of albums until 2015 when she brought out her greatest hits. She's protective of her music to the extent that she sued Nicki Minaj for copyright infringement and won, receiving a settlement of $450,000. She's political too. Ahead of the last US uh, presidential election, she performed Talking About a Revolution on Late Night with Seth Meyers, encouraging young people to vote. She did, however, grant, I said she was protective about her music, she granted Luke Combs permission to record Fast Car, which made number one on the US country charts. And that meant that Tracy became the first black woman 
to win a Country Music Award for her Song of the Year. Yes, Song of the Year it became at the CMAs and that was some achievement. So with that in mind, here she is today with, yes, Fast Car. Tracy Chapman, my Artist of the Week. Get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. You're with late lunch on LMFM radio. Did you know this? That cases of stalking have more than doubled in recent years. That's those that have been reported to the Gardaí. And of course, new legislation has been enacted late last year to deal with this awful, awful topic. And it's a real situation that many women and indeed men too experience during their lifetimes. I'm going to talk about it for the next while and I'm delighted to welcome him uh, back to the show today because he is the man behind a new documentary called Stalked, which will air on Virgin Media One on Monday next at nine o'clock. I am delighted to welcome back to the show, Alan Bradley. Alan, thanks for joining me again. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Not at all. It goes without saying that, you know, this is a serious matter and you've delved deeper than most into this by interviewing some victims of stalking. Legislation has been enacted. So do you see that having worked in this whole area as being something significant and will make a difference? hugely significant and hopefully will make a big difference. Um, we've seen in other countries where they've enacted stock and specific legislation where they didn't have it before, um, that there was a huge dramatic increase in reports to law enforcement of, of this crime taking place. Um, so it, it, we would expect hopefully to see that in Ireland too going forward now that since November this, this law has been enacted that there, there should be a, a spike in people coming forward to report uh, ongoing cases, I suppose, that have been going on, and then also anything new that might arise, uh, that there's that law there for people. And I suppose with stalking, what's found often, and, and experts would often say, is um, nipping it in the bud, for want of a better term, or, or getting in early can often, um, you know, of course, stop escalation uh, happening in the cases, and, and hopefully um, be an easier journey for the victim. Um to just get in there early and try and stop before it becomes, uh, you know, a situation that gets out of hand. In this documentary as well, I suppose it's fair to say that I, I mentioned there that cases have almost doubled. Those are the cases reported, but you could take it, I'm sure, Alan, that there are many, many other cases that people are yeah. afraid or unwilling to come forward. From making the film, I spoke to, there's obviously the three people in the film themselves, but outside of that, for research, I spoke to many people who have and were experiencing at the time stalking. Um, and, you know, it, it's far more common, I think, than I would have realised. Even when I just chat to people about what I'm doing and, and we chat about the film, people tell me, you know, I think eight out of ten times someone tells me either themselves or somebody close to them has been stalked. Even yesterday, actually, I was chatting to someone and their sister had been stalked a few years ago. So, yeah, I think it is a lot more common than we realise. And I think perhaps it's been a little bit ignored in, in Irish society, maybe, or dismissed uh, and not taken so seriously, perhaps. Um, and I think that's why having this law is another great thing to kind of legitimise that it is a it is a serious crime that has really 
devastating impacts on people and you know we do need to take it seriously You've done well to get people to come forward and open up about this. Let's talk about a, a couple of the cases that will be highlighted on Virgin Media next Monday evening. Eve McDowell is a woman who was studying in the University of Galway, a young woman there early on in our studies, and she was stalked by this guy, Igor Lewandowski. What happened? What's the what's the background to that? Eve and Igor were students at University of Galway, like you mentioned, and um, unfortunately, stalking began to take place over the course of, of a short period of time, about a month or so. Um, and it sort of escalated. Um, Eve found it difficult to get help from the guardie at the time, uh, probably because it wasn't a crime. And also sometimes it can be quite hard to um, make clear why some of these stalking type behaviours are so threatening, because in other ways they could be explained away as somebody overreacting and it's not a big deal. Um, you know, how do you prove they're being followed all the time? Like, how do you get that across? How do you get across how distressing that is and, and why it's upsetting if, if a member of the Guardian doesn't quite um, see your point of view? Uh, and so, unfortunately, the, it escalated to a point where um, there was a, Igor broke into Eve's apartment and with a hammer and attacked her housemate. Um, and, and then the guards could step in and, and sort of do something. So unfortunately for Eve, it had to reach quite a dark place before action was taken. Una Ring was working with a colleague called James Steele yeah. and, you know, people again in close proximity to one another. And this is frightening the way this took off and developed. And at the end of the day, this guy was going to cause harm to this woman. Yeah, so again, that that was uh, resulted in, a, in an attempt to break in. Um, and Steele was armed with many things, including a crowbar, duct tape and rope. Um, and he had quite um, terrifying intentions there. Um, in, in Una's case, thankfully, the Gardaí down in Yall and Cork were actually fantastic. Um, so they were sort of sitting outside Una's house in an unmarked car waiting for Steele to sort of do something. Because unfortunately, because the law wasn't in place for talking, you kind of have to wait for somebody to do something to finally arrest them. Um, so luckily for Una, the guards were there. Um, but yeah, a terrifying experience to go through as well. And for both of those women, in, in the first instance, uh, Igor has been released from jail. And when you watch this wonderful show on Monday night, you'll realise that Una Ring is talking about the imminent release of her stalker. Yeah. So, you know, this this doesn't end, really. No, I think that's something that surprised me, actually. And I hadn't really reflected on it until we were with um, the contributors to the film. It doesn't end, unfortunately. Um you know, the the stalkers themselves may move on and, and, you know, nothing may ever happen again, hopefully. But I suppose it's the fear, it's the looking over your shoulder, it's the never quite being sure that sort of lives with them. And just living through an experience like that, um, you know, Una would describe how you're on high alert all the time. And it's, it's very hard to change your worldview after that. You know, she talks about every time she gets into the car, she checks behind her in the seat to make sure nobody's there. Um she parks close to the shop so she doesn't have very far to walk between so no one could intercept her. Like these aren't behaviours you can just switch off once the perpetrator has been um, you know, put away. It's, it's something that sort of becomes embedded, that sort of fear, I suppose. Mm, that is the uh, really sad part of it. There is never probably 
uh, closure, but people have to get on with their lives too and try and put these yeah. situations behind them. The other thing that you bring to the fore is something that people probably wouldn't associate with stalking. It's mostly regarded as something that happens to women. But you highlight the case of Jarlett Rice, who had a fling with this lady called Lena Tantash. And for a decade, she scourged this man. In fact, he had to leave Ireland. Yeah, Jarlett's story is quite shocking. And like you say, many people mightn't expect that it happens to men. But international research which would suggest that up to one in six men actually experience some form of stalking in their lifetime. Um, and, and similar to many crimes like this, um, I suppose, men might be le- less likely to come forward. Um, it could be more easily dismissed when it's the male victim um, as not something so threatening, which obviously wouldn't be correct, but it's often, often the way it seems, um, which, which makes men not come forward. So Jarlis did experience that himself in Ireland when he was trying to get help with the situation. He didn't really find any help. And yeah, it, was a, it went on for a decade. It, it devastated his life. He sort of makes a point in the film that I thought was very poignant where he says um, it's sort of his potential as well that was robbed. You know, his whole life has been hindered by it. So now at the age he's at now, he probably hasn't got to the place he would have hoped to in life because his whole world was consumed by this stalking experience for a decade, which is really sad to hear, um, although he's doing well now, of course. Yeah, it probably has set him back. And to uh, say that uh, Lena Tantash was actually arrested in in the UK uh, by the police over there. The minister, uh, Helen yeah. McEntee, our own local minister here uh, for justice appears in this as well, as does others. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the the emphasis and, and the seriousness of this is really at the heart of government thinking and policy, which was shown by the new legislation late last year again. Yeah, definitely. And I think they've, they worked really well on the legislation and I think it's, it's hopefully it will be something really positive. Una, Ring and Eve McDowell um, were big leaders in that. Like They really fought for the legislation to happen. Um, they really helped push it through and they would have advised um, Helen McEntee and her advisors uh, on putting the legislation together in a way that kind of considers all types of stalking as best possible. So to cover as many people's experience as we can to, to try and protect people in the best possible way. And I think they've done a really good job in doing that. They certainly have. You've done a great job yourself again, may I say, Alan Bradley. And just to remind our listeners, it is airing on Virgin Media One TV on Monday night next at nine o'clock. Not to be missed this one. It's called Stalked and it's directed and produced by Alan Bradley, who's been chatting to us. Thanks, Alan, and well done again. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Bye. Yes, that's our lot on Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. Eddie Caffrey's ready and raring to go with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Stay with us. We'll be back with your final Late Lunch of the week tomorrow, Friday from 1.30. We'll see you then. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.